0: the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it, okay, I'm going to put this here, all right, so friends, we're marching along in 1 Peter, oh, you know what, oh, okay, I'm not going to record, Chase, I'm not going to record this on my phone because it's downstairs playing through the turtle box, okay, all right, ha-ha, all right, We are walking through 1 Peter, friends, this is week two, we're called to be holy, thank you, called to be holy, in our text here this morning, it's really what Peter is uh, saying to the church, and so last week we talked among other things in the the first bit of 1 Peter, just about how he calls us basically resident sojourners, or resident aliens, and how we are supposed to be... Very much in this world, as much as Christ came to this world and lived in the midst of a people, so much that he took our burdens and our hardships and our sin upon himself. So he, d- he hasn't called us to be in a different place, but in, in the place that he's called us to be, and to get dirty and to roll our sleeves up and to be among those that don't know him, in great part so we can be a light to the world. But also um, to, to to be to remember that this is not our... Final destination, this is not our final home in that. He's gonna remake, he's gonna remake this world when he brings heaven down when he returns. And so we were gonna we're supposed to have this very much in, but very much not of resident sojourners. Um seek the blessing of the city, seek the blessing of the geography that you're in, but know that this is just um we're still broken and this world is broken. And so he's he's called us to himself and he's called us to a future, and really that future is what we're gonna be talking about, at least at first, because that's where Peter kind of picks up here. Um, So Peter here tells the churches in Asia Minor that God has called them to be as he is, holy, right, in verses 14 and 15. God's grace doesn't mean living as we please, but as his children, bought and paid for and dearly loved, bearing the family name. So, okay, let me just sort of set for you what I think Peter's saying in this text that that, uh, Chase just read. To live holy as God's children, then we'll dig in, we'll start into point one. To live holy as God's children today in this time of exile, as resident sojourners, right? Look ahead. So a couple weeks ago at Sojourn Heights, Reed actually preached from Ephesians 1 on time. And if you want to think with regard to what Peter's telling us here about time, Christians with regard to time, past, present, future, it's helpful. And I'll I'll remind us of that again when we take communion together, which Paul, when we take communion, if you wouldn't mind serving with us. Um, So to live holy as God's children today in this time of exile, today, now, in this present day, give us us this day our daily bread. How do we live? Peter says, look ahead. To live well now, we as Christians are supposed to look ahead to the coming reward, to that great hope, that confident expectation we have in Christ. This is not as good as it gets. He's with us now, but he's coming in person to actually finish the work that he started um, and to do away with death and sin. Okay, so look ahead to the coming reward, that's point one, and to the coming judgment, point two. Okay, so not just to the coming reward and the hope we have, but also to the fact that God is going to judge every word and deed, even of believers. And especially, can I say that, of believers. So look ahead to the coming reward and the coming judgment and look back to the price that he paid to buy us out of slavery and adopt us as his own. Okay, so first point, be holy by looking forward to the reward. Peter says here, Um, in verse 13, he says, set your hope fully. That word fully means fully. It means perfectly or completely. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but so often I don't, there's not a day goes by where I've actually fully lived, fully lived (laughs) into this, where I'm fully setting my hope as I live now, allowing the now to be, to be, completely influenced and colored by my hope being set fully not on what's in front of me not on my retirement not on the weekend not on what this group's going to think of me not on the next business deal or getting some more money in my bank account by the way those are all things i think of constantly but rather peter he leaves no room for anything else set your hope fully on the grace it means favor that will be revealed to us when jesus comes again Let that hook into that so much that it completely shapes the way that we live now. Let me quote, no surprise, C.S. Lewis. Hope is one of the theological virtues. He says this in mere Christianity. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. So, in other words, you can kind of think, oh, Christians, they're just looking forward to heaven, so they're not really living for today. He, He blows that up. He says, no way, Okay. It's not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, he says, you will find that Christians who did the most for this present world were just the ones who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on on foot, there's a British turn of phrase, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, these cathedrals that have lasted for a, you know, over a 1,000 years and continue, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade a couple hundred years later, all left their mark on earth precisely because, why? He says, why? Precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. They were setting their hope on the revelation that was coming, on the grace that was coming when Christ returned, when he was fully revealed, when we see him face to face. Um, it is since Christians, he goes on and finishes, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, it's a famous phrase. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Back to the first and second things. If you live for the first things, the second things get thrown in, right? Aim for heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You will get, if you live for this world, you will end up losing this world because Christ is coming to restore this world. And To do away with all those to send those to judgment who, have not, who who have not hidden in him and who he's not been judged for in their place right so they will lose both this earth and of course uh, the heavens and earth to come all right so looking to the if we sort of take the cookies and, and, and take CS Lewis's wonderful quote and what Peter's saying here and, and put the cookies on the bottom shelf um, looking is if things work like this looking to the reward is, is a wonderful motivator for excellent behavior um, there's a social experiment with kids that uh, are given, they're given the offer of two marshmallows, but, and I think we've all heard this, but they were, put in, yeah, they were put in a room, and they were given one marshmallow, and I'm not going to give the details of the experiment, but they watched them, and uh, they were given one marshmallow that eat, the kids could have at any time. It was like 20 minutes or something, and there's nothing else in the room. A kid, marshmallow, and they're told, if you wait the whole time to eat that marshmallow and you don't eat it, then we'll give you a second marshmallow at the end of the time. And the kids who waited, who had the vision of more marshmallow, who waited for that marshmallow. They tracked them for the next, I don't know, let's say 15, 20 years, and they ended up being more successful in so many categories of life. They were looking ahead. They were future oriented, They were future-motivated. Um, they went on to lead better lives. Gr- greater discipline led to greater success and happiness and sprang from a sense of delayed gratification. They didn't have to get it all here. They knew that there was a hope, a, hope, a marshmallow coming. Um, this is what Peter Peter is telling us, a a future favor is coming, a future grace from God. Set your hope fully on it, not on these temporal things. Again, I'm guilty party number one. The things right in front of us, right? The bigger house. And there's nothing wrong with these things, but to set our hope fully on them is a huge mistake and not what Christians are called to. A bigger house, greater wealth, more toys, the perfect body, fame, people's good opinion, and on I could go, right? So kids, to put the to put the cookies even more on the bottom shelf, kids are motivated best by desire, right? Sometimes fear is necessary too, and we'll talk about that in, in the second point. Um, but so are adults, right? So are adults, not just kids. Think of an Olympic athlete, just to take a few really simple examples uh, in her training. Um, so much discipline goes into that, so much uh, privation, so much pain goes into Olympic training, and their, look, their hope, the hope that they're set on is that future goal. Um, The person who works hard and saves rather than spending to buy a home, to use a second example. And then thirdly, um, the man looking forward to his wedding day. His bride is in his sights. He will forego all sorts of pleasure to wait for her. So it is with the Christian in Christ, who on that day will be fully revealed in all his power and beauty. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, nothing given up for him and for others. Uh, We think of his words, when you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. Nothing given up for him or for others will not be given back many times over for eternity. We'll have have these things forever um, without the stain of sin or death. Letting go of pleasure here for greater pleasure and reward later is a dynamic we act on constantly, as I've said, in this life. Peter's saying, let your whole life here be governed by this eternal reward that's coming. The hope of the new creation, but really Christ himself, who who is our great reward, which I'll finish with. Um, this dynamic that I've kind of talked about with examples here that's is, 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 at work is a mere shadow of the dynamic that will be at work in the new creation. No w- man, woman, or child will regret what he's given up here for Christ and his kingdom. So that's um, point one, be holy by looking forward to the reward. Point two, be holy by living in light of judgment. If we think that salvation means we can live how we please, as I said a second ago, we're sorely mistaken. That's not a biblical idea at all. Paul devotes a whole chapter to this in Romans chapter 6. Peter, just a few verses here. I care more about how my kids live, not less, because they're my kids, um, than than how other kids that aren't mine live, right? God cares, and if I can say this, more about how we live. Um, God will bring everything um, done and not done up for judgment, Peter says. It will matter eternally how we live in these few decades that we have here planet earth as his children. Um, this life is like a stone dropped in water, and eternity is the ripples moving outward across the face of the pond forever. So how we live here, God will bring our decisions and our actions into into judgment. Though we be saved, because we are saved, our lives matter even more and for eternity. Um, so Peter says here that we should conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile why he says because our father judges impartially according to each man's deeds in verse 17 we should live every moment of our lives in light of the judgment that's surely coming quote i'm quoting a a commentator here behaving always in the recognition that god the just judge takes account of all of one's behavior this, this commentator, Craig Keener, he, he adds this, certainly many people who claim to be Christians would spend their time and resources differently if they lived their daily lives cognizant of God's presence and values. And this very truth, that he, will, he is an impartial judge who will bring how we live, everything we do or don't do, into judgment. So we are stewards. I live as an owner, but I'm not an owner. I'm a steward of all that is God's, even my own life, my very life. It's not my own. I said my own. I kind of betrayed the way I think so often. Everything we have as a Lord is a Lord's. It's on loan, as it were, and we are to use it for his kingdom, not for ours. We'll have to answer the question, how have you stewarded the resources I entrusted to you on loan for your short time on earth? I think of, um, is it Denethor, uh, the, the character in The Lord of the Rings, who's the steward of Gondor, he's the, the father of Bormir and Faramir, and he's a steward, but he's begun to act like, because the king hasn't come back for generations, King Aragorn. He's begun to act like the king. He's begun to think he's a king, and that's really a picture that Tolkien has given in this character Denethor to all of us. We don't we often act like kings when really we're stewards of all that God's given us for this short time. How are we going to invest it for Him? Um, how have you? How have you stewarded the resources that I entrusted to you on loan for your short time on earth? Did you invest them in my kingdom or did you spend them on yours? Right, so C.S. Lewis, again, in, in an essay called Dogma in the Universe, he says this. He says, do not let us deceive ourselves. No possible complexity which we can give to our picture of the universe can hide us from God. There's no copse, no forest, no jungle thick enough to provide cover. We read in Revelation of him that sat on the throne from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. It may happen to uh, any of us at any moment in the twinkling of an eye, in a time too small to be measured, and in any place, all that seems to divide us from God can flee away. We, we're not masters of our, the own time, our own time of death. We don't know. When, any one of us now could drop dead. We, it's presumption to think otherwise, right? We don't know. And at that moment, we will go to meet our maker, and he will, we will give an accounting. In any place, all that seems to divide us from God can flee away, vanish, leaving us naked before him like the first man like the only man, as if nothing but he and I existed. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the point of life is to learn to like that moment. And we cannot like it, of course, unless we are his, and we cannot be his unless we are fully clothed in Christ, which we'll get to in this final point coming up. And fully clothed in Christ, here's the things Peter's saying, it matters very much how we live. I care more about how my kids live than the neighbors next I almost said brat neighbors. They're not. I love them. I love them. But I care much more about my kids. I'm much more invested in their behavior and the decisions they make or don't make and what they do say or don't say. Um, someone wiser even than C.S. Lewis said it this way, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nothing. Nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Everything that is whispered, he goes on to say, will be shouted from the rooftops, right? So we need to, be, we need to live in light of the reward but also of this, this holy reverence. Not an abject terror, but a holy reverence that the God who loves us so much cares so much about how we live. And also, we ought to think of Christ, getting to this finally, as uh, our substitute, but also as our example. And I I think I miss that sometimes. In in our Protestant culture, why so go to the vicarious, atoning, substitutionary life of Christ for me and for you. His life for me, his death for us. But also, therefore, it very much matters that we seek to, what did he say? What's his call to us? Follow me, that we seek to follow him and to live as he lived. Not to earn his favor, we have it by faith. But, but who, what better example to follow? And Jesus indeed doesn't give us an option not to. He says, follow me, pick up your cross. Remind yourselves that, that you are not your own. Um, come to die, come to me that you might live. Finally, thirdly, be holy, Peter says, because he is holy, not just gin up a bunch of, Be holy because he is holy and you are his, born from him, bought by him, belonging to him and to to one another as his family. And that's how Peter finishes this text that Chase read from uh, through verse three of chapter two. All this family language throughout this passage, there's a lot of it. We are his. We're born of an imperishable seed. The first time we're born, we're born of what? A perishable or an imperishable seed? When you're born as a baby from your parents, your earthly parents. Perishable, right? You're born into sin, the rebellion of Adam and Eve. You will die. I will die. But so that's why we need to be born a second time. The first time wasn't good enough to be at peace with God in His presence. The second time, through faith in Christ, the Son of God, is good enough. We have to be born a second time, as Peter, as Peter, as Jesus told Nicodemus on that rooftop two thousand years ago. How we have to be born through the resurrection of His Son, who died for us. He ransomed us. That word "ransom" that Peter uses here—Jesus, the Son of the very Son of God paid the ransom price for us it's a marketplace word it's a financial word he paid the highest price for anyone who looks to him to be saved and what was that price his, his very self his very body and soul he bore the wrath of god almighty in our place because if he if he doesn't bear the wrath of god in our place we bear it and it will eternally destroy us we will eternally perish john three sixteen. if we don't trust in jesus and he takes our place and so i have a I have a uh, a friend, a good friend who um huh. Sorry. I'm uh I had two manuscripts and I just realized they got mixed up. That's fine. Haha. Um it's all right. Well, yes, I have a good friend who who uh was fond of saying that we are worth what somebody's willing to pay for us. And that's exactly right. Um you are, you are of, of inestimable worth to the living God. We know that because he was willing to give his own son and his own life to rescue us. Um, let me see if I can make sense of this by moving to this other. Um, yeah, I think I can. So Jesus paid for us with his own life. He ransomed you and me. Anyone who comes to him by faith, he bought us from the evil one, from Satan. And he, uh, well, and that's, he, <laughs> he paid the price that we owe God by bearing the wrath of God for us. Um, and that means that he gave himself over to the evil one, to Satan, to be tormented so that we could go free. Um, there's a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis um, where Aslan gives himself over. Sorry, kids if, or adults, if you haven't read this. Um, he gives himself over at one of the high points of the book to the White Witch, the satanic figure, uh, and her goblins to be tortured. And he does it to save Edmund, who's a traitor, who doesn't deserve at all uh, to have anything good, certainly by Aslan, done for him. And yet Aslan freely walks into – he could have destroyed the White Witch and all of her goblins, but he freely walks in and gives himself up. And Edmund walks free, this traitor. And that's such a picture of us. Jesus gives himself up for traitors, rogues, and thieves like us. Willingly gave himself into the power of the evil one. Paul, in Romans 1, three times in Romans 1, he says that God gives over the guilty to their own desires. That's how God judges. It's what we deserve to be given over to the very things that we desire, and they end up destroying us. Jesus chose to be given over in the place of the guilty, to be treated as guilty, so that the guilty who look to him can walk like Eustace can go free. Um, Peter calls Jesus here like he calls him a lamb without spot or blemish, and he's invoking the Old Testament sacrificial system here, and he's saying that every Old Testament sacrifice pointed one way. None of them took away a single sin, but Jesus t- truly takes away our sins. John the Baptist said, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No, no animal sacrifice ever took away a single sin. They were all pictures to the one who would come and take our sacri- take our sins away truly. In verse 18, Peter calls the ways of their forefathers futile, the ways of this church in, these churches in Turkey. He says, the ways of your forefathers were futile. You've come now to Jesus a better way. Um, one commentator writes, the ancient world valued antiquity and would resent calls to abandon the ways of the ancestors, as in 1 verse 18. Here, however, he goes on, Peter appeals to something far older and more universal than any ancient tradition, that Christ was known before the world's beginning, suggests that God had designed this plan for redemption, even before sin began. Again, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, after, spoiler alert again, the girls that see Aslan sacrificed on the stone table by the white witch. He gives himself over in the place of a traitor. He is, they, they, they look at the stone table and he's gone. It's cracked. And they see that, they look around and they see that Aslan is there, newer and bigger and stronger and fiercer and more wonderful than ever. And they ask him about this. They say, what does it all mean? Asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And that's what the resurrection means. Death itself has no power. Sin itself has no power over this new creation and Christ is the first of all those who look to him by faith we too will go the way of Christ we'll be bodily resurrected and so will this creation that's why he's bringing heaven down the first time he left heaven the second time he comes not in weakness but in power and he's bringing his home with him to earth to remake all things which is one of the huge reasons that everything that we do here in Christ will matter for eternity. It's the opposite of, hey, we're just going to get whisked away and and all this is going to burn. The fire is going to be applied in such a way, the fire of God's judgment and coming, in such a way that all that is in Christ that is truly of worth will be purified. Everything that is not will be destroyed and he will finish the work that he started. Which is why, again, Martin Luther said, if Christ were coming tomorrow, I'd plant a tree. Think of how well it would do. Everything that you do in Christ This will just be a seed in the ground that will grow up into this eternal oak tree. So it matters more, not less, because of Christ's resurrection and because of the fact that he is coming again for his own to finish what he started. Um, And then uh, Peter wraps, as I will wrap, um, he talks about how in light of all this, we should live as newborn people. That's really what he says in the first few verses that Chase read here uh, of of chapter 2. Um, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants, right? Long for the spiritual milk, and on and on he goes. Um, this involves putting to death the old man. But it, 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 it's not possible unless we've been born a second time through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I think that one of the reasons, I don't have time to get into or to dig in myself to why exactly Peter lists each of these, but one thing that I find interesting is that he says He lists these sins, put away, what, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and live like newborn infants. We we can't do this unless we're born a second time, unless we're new creatures in Christ through faith in him. But infants, those sinners, they are. Augustine says, hey, a baby, an infant isn't innocent. He He would sin in all, he's a sinner, and he would manifest that sin in all sorts of ways if he could, but all he can do here is cry and poop and pee these are things that is a newborn infant can't do as I look at this list. Envy, slander, malice. Um, and so he's saying, you have a new nature in Christ. Live like it. Put to death the old man. And as you do that strenuously, do it by faith in Christ, looking back to what he's done and looking ahead to the fact that he's coming again. Um, he says that we should he said, and how do we, one of the main ways he does that, I don't have time to go into it now, but the verses right before this, he's really talking about feeding on the Word of God. He equates, and, he's, and he's, he, brought, he draws from the Old Testament, partly that passage that Catherine read earlier from Isaiah. And as he quotes that, he equates that with the Gospel. He says, This is the Word that was preached to you. So he's saying, The Old Testament, which is the perfect Word of God that directed every step Jesus took as the incarnate Word of God. The gospel is that word. He puts the gospel on the level with God's inscripturated word. And then he goes on to say, yeah, feed on Jesus. He says, Jesus is that word. Spend time in the word. The word is what tells us about who God is. The word is actually what takes us by faith, by the power of the spirit into that living relationship with Jesus. We can't grow as newborn infants without the word. We can't know who God is or what he's done. We can't spend time with him without the word, by the power of the spirit, through faith. That's what, I don't have as much time as I want to unpack that, but that's what Peter is saying. And then he says in closing, we should love one another fervently. He says, with all of our, that means literally with all of our might and main. Literally, it means straining every muscle. I just want to put this out in front of us without unpacking it, but what would that look like? Peter, it's a command from Peter, in light of our, what we have in Christ, what he's done for us, where we're headed, we live now straining every muscle to love each other. What would that look like? What would that do to the life of our body if we truly believed what Peter tells us, what the gospel tells us about who we are in Christ, that we're his body? Even though we come from different places, have different backgrounds, different histories. Um, what would that do to the geography around us if we loved each other, straining every muscle? That's what our love looked like with all of our might and main. Can we make that a prayer? Can we, can we live into that by faith? And we should remember, amidst all this talk of reward, that he is our prize. Let me finish with this quote from Dane Ortland. He is our prize. Jesus himself is our portion, who holds all pleasure in his right hand forevermore. Dane Ortland says this, and I close, and we'll move to communion, and Paul will help me. This reminds us, Dane Ortland says, that in the end, it is all about knowing God in Jesus Christ, not just knowing about him. Yes, we need to know about him to know him personally. I can know all about my children, but if I'm just studying who they are and I don't know them personally, then what is it? What is my fatherhood worth? What is my I don't have a relationship with them. I just no, no, no. In the end, it's all about knowing God and Jesus Christ. Just not just knowing about God, but knowing God, he says. Yes, we must do that through his word, but his word is a means to its end. The word, Jesus. Relationship with the triune God through the son is what we were made for. It's the gas in the tank. Anything else is like putting milk or sugar in your tank. It's not going to work. It's not what it's made for. God made us for himself, and our hearts are restless, unquiet until they rest in him. Nothing else will help us run right. Dane Ortland said, um, you were made for God. The heart of Christianity is not a set of doctrines to believe, even though sound doctrine is vital. Nor is the heart of Christianity an, act, um, an activity to pursue, even though the Christian faith is necessarily active. Nor is it essentially a set of disciplines, even though without reading the Bible and praying, we will not get far in the Christian life. The heart of Christianity is, to use a phrase from John Bunyan, the old Puritan preacher and writer, to live upon God. You were made for God, to know him, enjoy him, revere him, draw strength from him, trust him, love him. In Christ alone, we can. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word from Peter, your, your, one of your one of the 12 that you chose. And even as I say that in the notes mixed up this morning in your providence and my silliness, um, reminding, being reminded that in the other notes that I had, it's, it's a call to be holy, but we can't forget the fact that just as you called Peter, Peter reminds us, perhaps because of that, in the first part of uh, this this letter, that we are we're not just we're not just commanded to be holy; we're called to be holy. We're called by you, and that is at the foundation of our holiness. That you have called us within uh, with an unbreakable call, and you've made us your own through your Son Jesus Christ. And you and you tell us to live as He lived with His power inside of us, looking forward to that final day. And so. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this word. We pray um, that you would bless it and that it would not return void, but that it would work in us, help us to enjoy Jesus more now, to look forward to his coming and to live in light of that now and to look back to what he has done and to love each other with all of our might and main, um, straining every fiber um, that, is within, that is within us and to, love, to let your love pass through us to the world that you've put all around us.